What's up, guys? Welcome back to another Sport Universe podcast. It's me, Brian. I'm joined with Nick. What's going on, guys? And Max. Hello, everybody. Okay, so a little different this week. We're going to start with the NBA because, obviously, the finals just ended yesterday, and I think it makes sense to start there. So, I guess just starting off, the Lakers beat the Heat 4-2 last night was the final game of the series. Uh, The first half was a blowout by the Lakers. I mean, it didn't ever really get that close, but it became somewhat of a closer game at the end, even though they were up by, like, 15 with a minute left or something. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think everyone going into the series expected the Lakers to win, and if the Heat somehow made a miraculous run at it, it would have been, like, one of the best finals ever. Um, But the Heat definitely put up a fight. Getting two games against the Lakers with who the Heat were putting on the floor, they really only had Jimmy Butler for... Uh, three of the games, like him alone, they didn't have Ben Abayu, they didn't have Goran Dragic. Um, ben Abayu came back towards the end, um, but still without Goran Dragic. The Heat team throughout the, se- throughout the playoffs really put on a show um, using the momentum that they had from the, play- from the bubble and then using um, the, the underdog mentality, I guess you want to call it, really, I think, propelled them even further. Uh, one thing, what I do want to focus on is, I think t- two of the biggest questions is, obviously, whenever LeBron James wins another title, you have to discuss what it means for his legacy, um, if that, how much closer that makes him to be ki- being considered the best player ever, and then I want to discuss about Jimmy Butler, um, and what that means for his legacy. So first, look for LeBron James, I mean, um, I'm... I think LeBron James and Michael Jordan, even before this, were very close, and I think a lot of people would agree with me on that. Um, obviously, I never saw Michael Jordan play, so I might be a little biased, but just watching LeBron James and what he can do for teams um, is insane to me. He just he has every single ability that he needs to be what he has be, been all his years, an outstanding basketball player, and whatever you whatever team needs from him, he can supply. I mean... These playoffs, I think he shot some crazy number from uh, three-point range. Um, I think he shot over 50%, um, I think, in the finals. Some crazy numbers, um, and this was his fourth championship compared to LeBron James's sixth. I mean, Michael Jordan's sixth, and the same going for finals MVP, four and six. Obviously, LeBron James still needs two to even tie with Michael Jordan, but then again... uh, championships aren't everything and that's probably what the biggest debate is right now between LeBron James and Michael Jordan but for me looking at it now I still think Michael Jordan's ahead um, just because the championships do mean a little something to me he was able to win with his teams and four championships is nothing to blink an eye at but I think it's very close and if he got one more championship I'd I could not see myself saying that Michael Jordan is a better player than LeBron James. You guys have anything you want to say about that? Um, yeah, so for me, uh, just going over the series, that you know, pretty much agree with you there that the Heat didn't really have a chance coming into this empirically when you, you, know, you look at it objectively. That With a healthy team, this Lakers team, which is too good, um, if you remember all the way back to before the season even started, the Lakers were my choice for the NBA champions. Mm-hmm. I was pretty confident in them being able to do what they did. Um, from the start, the Lakers team as a whole, between LeBron James, Anthony Davis, the amount of talent they had right there uh, alone is enough to win a championship. But then you look at the rest of their team, 
uh, Kyle Kuzma, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, um, you know, really, really big heavy. Uh, Lakers kind of going against everything that that basketball is, is going towards right now, which it's a lot more three-point shooting. Um, obviously, the Lakers had Danny Green, but as you saw throughout the finals, he wasn't that great. Um, Alex Caruso, etc. Uh, they weren't really this overpowering three-point shooting team. They were more just playing good basketball, uh, dominating inside, good passing, and played as a, as a whole team. And I think that it comes through the leadership of LeBron James, as well as their veterans, uh, the, the pure amount of veterans that they have there. Um, that team was ready to win a championship, which is incredible considering when you look at the Lakers about two years ago, um, when LeBron, right before LeBron joined, they were in dismay. Uh, they didn't have much going on. You know, Kobe had recently retired. Mm-hmm. They were struggling to find an identity. Uh, LeBron James comes over. He, you know, he promises the Lakers organization that he's going to flip this this organization around back to what it used to be, and he does it within a year, which is is incredible. Um, so, you know, hats off to LeBron James in that aspect. Um, you know, on the Heat side of things, as I said, it was going to be tough for them from the start. They're fifth seed for a reason, right? Their talent wasn't the greatest, but the way they played in the playoffs is undeniable and. It shows. It goes to show you like what team chemistry and coaching can really do beyond just pure talent. With that being said, they again with the, how they matched up against the Lakers. The Lakers had it in the bag, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we look at. I saw a post this morning from Stephen A. Smith. Uh, and this relates to LeBron James' uh, legacy. This is the the hardest final he's ever won, mm-hmm. and I have to disagree with Stephen A. Smith because it's you know he, he's considering COVID, which I guess is difficult because of COVID, but I feel like. Everyone had to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I think. In, I think in reality, this is probably one of the easiest championships that, that LeBron has ever won, uh, based upon the fact that he was playing a fifth seed, t- you know, talent team in the Heat. But more so, that he, uh, the Heat team was injury riddled throughout the entire se- series. You know, losing Bam Adebayo, Goran Dragic, um, and that's not to say that the Heat were terrible, but it's just you know, it, it just went the Lakers' way from the start, and it was impressive for the Heat to even get those two wins. Um. With that being said, you know, Jimmy Butler is an incredible talent, and it really goes to show what, you know, I think he played, what, was it the game prior? It has a picture that came out of him, yeah. like, humble, hunched over because he was just out of breath. Uh, he played, I think, all 48 minutes of the yeah, game or very like close to it. Or um, you know, the amount of, I call it dog, the amount of dog in Jimmy Butler was incredible. And it was basically Jimmy Butler leading that team similar to the way LeBron James mm-hmm. leads his teams. Um but, you know, incredible fight at Jimmy Butler, and I think he's one of the more underrated superstars that we see in the NBA today. Right. Uh, going on to LeBron James's legacy, you know, I definitely do think I agree with you there that he's a little bit below Michael Jordan right now. You know, based on his finals record, is not the greatest, right. um, not as good as Michael Jordan. But I think they also are playing different eras, you know, different type of games where Michael Jordan was more of a give me the ball, let me score, let everything run through me. LeBron James is willing to hand the ball off and let somebody like Anthony Davis take over. Because mm-hmm. um, LeBron James is not as great of a scorer, in my opinion, as Michael Jordan was. Uh, but I think it's undeniable that LeBron James, I think he, I think where he lacks maybe in like shooting, um, you know, he definitely picks up in his passing game. You know, they have different aspects to their games. Although they are similar in some ways, right, where they play that kind of small forward shooting guard, point guard type right. of role. Um, you know, it's a really interesting argument. And I think, you know, looking five years down the line from now, if LeBron James, you know, you know, LeBron James will be about 40 at that point, and I expect him to either curtail off or possibly retire at that point. 
if LeBron James can find a way to win another two titles and get six rings, and I think it's undeniable LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan mm-hmm. uh, from a career standpoint. But until then, uh, it's a tough argument, and I do think Michael Jordan leads him slightly. Yeah. I would. You brought up two interesting points. The thing about uh, this Heat team, it kind of reminds me in the past of like the Hawks a few years ago didn't really have a star and were able to be the number one seed or something. But what's different about this Heat team compared to that team is the Heat weren't a number one seed in the season, but were able to really form during the bubble and get that team mentality all the way to the championship, which teams that hadn't had a star hadn't been able to do that for a while, I would say. Um, It was very interesting to see that in this day of age and like the super the super teams even though that's starting to wane out a little bit or that's not the right word but whatever um it was interesting to see a team actually be able to uh get through the whole playoffs even without having you had one star but that was it um in in terms of jimmy butler um jimmy butler has been that player that was like a star but no one really saw him as like when he was on the Sixers, everyone was mad at him. They didn't. He didn't really. He wasn't a star for them. He was a player that had a good past. Um, same with when he was on the Bulls. He really never led them to anything that great. He was a player that played really well. Um, had that like underdog mentality. Um, that I think he was like a second round pick or something. Um, no one really ever gave him, ever believed in him to actually do anything, and that's what's led him throughout his whole career. But this was the first season, and I think it's going to be a very big uh, turning point in his career where people are actually seeing him as a player that can lead a team. Um, Now, I don't want... Obviously, when you're in... The bubble is a whole different thing compared to just playing in 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 the playoffs in a regular season. You're only with your team. You have one focus in mind, which is winning a championship. And I think that might have really helped Jimmy Butler. And... What Jimmy Butler has to figure out figure out how to be able to do is not only become a superstar in the playoffs, which is important. Obviously, he needs to be a clutch player, but be able to be a player throughout the a really good player throughout the season, which he has been to a degree. But there are times where it seems like with a lot of players like similar to Jimmy Butler, where they get tired of the regular season and only care about the playoffs. But what he has to figure out how to be able to do is to take what he did in the playoffs and turn into the regular season grind, get through those 82 games, and then make it to the playoffs. Um, I think that would be very important for Jimmy Butler. Um, but it, uh, either way, this t- makes jumps him leaps and bounds from where he was before into a whole nother level of player for Jimmy Butler. It kind of remi- reminds me of what Kawhi Leonard did last year. I think Kawhi Leonard is way better than Jimmy Butler, but Kawhi Leonard definitely put himself up into the top three of the NBA from last year's cha- from last year's playoffs. And I think Jimmy Butler is not top three, but I definitely say pushed himself a great deal up into like those leaderboards. Yeah, I definitely thought about it like that, where it was like, when I think of Jimmy Butler, he's kind of like that Kawhi Leonard where he was, Kawhi Leonard was kind of underrated for a lot of his career. Everyone thought he was good, but until they saw him really progress the Toronto Raptors to a championship, never, never, Never did anyone really think of him as a top tier player, right. top three player in the NBA. And I think it's the same goes with Jimmy Butler, and I don't think he's the same. Obviously, the Heat didn't win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it plays a factor. How much of a factor I don't know, but uh, you know, kind of similar jump as you had mentioned. Yeah, I mean, 
I was just watching. I think what really takes a player to a new level is when you can show that you can put your whole team on your back. Um, that's what Kawhi Leonard did last year, and the same with Jimmy Butler. And you make a very good point that they didn't win the championship. But, I mean, no one can deny that what he did was incredible. Um, next up is, do you want to talk about the draft? Uh, sure, just a little bit about the draft. Um, you know, I, honestly, until a couple of days ago, I didn't even know when the draft was. I figured it was sometime in October when they are speaking about. I didn't even know they really set an official date, mm-hmm. um, but they did. Uh, it's November 18th, 2020. Um, it's about a month and a week away. Today is October 12th. Should be really interesting, I think, this draft to see how it changes the landscape of and the free agency, which I'm going to get to in, in, a, in a second, um, how it's going to change the landscape of the NBA because the M- NBA season is going to start in December. Usually you have that June to like October break, and they're only going to have October to uh, you know the st- start of December-ish. Um, you know, a lot less time for these free agents and uh, NBA draft picks, the draft picks to... Uh, you know, accustom themselves to their new teams. So it's going to be, I think, you know, the draft and the free agency are going to be really crazy because mm-hmm. it's going to have, like, such a large impact. And you're going to see so many free agents sign within a small span of time. Um, it's going to be, you know, really fun to watch, but it's also going to be really impactful, um, you know, between the first and second overall picks. You know, I think the Timberwolves with their first overall pick, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go. You know, D'Angelo, uh, they have Russell now, uh Anthony Towns. You know, how are they going to be able to piece those guys together with the with the Number one overall draft pick, which I assume they're going to keep, right. um, should be interesting there. And I think, I think even more interesting, which I think everyone's kind of forgetting, and in, in how the season has went, is the Warriors. Right? There's just there's right. such a forgotten team right now. But once that team comes back next season, you're going to have my projection for them currently. I don't know how true this is. I don't I don't know if it's going to be true, but just to, what makes the most sense for me is that let's say with the number two overall pick, they go James Wiseman, which was the center for Memphis before mm-hmm. he dropped out of Memphis. Um, really good talent. When you look at that Warriors team between Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Draymond Green, who's not maybe what he used to be, but is still a really solid basketball player, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Paschal, and then maybe like a James Wiseman and whoever they want to fill out the roster with from there, that's a great team. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, that is, in my opinion, to the level that they had maybe with Kevin Durant. You know, not as much talent that they had in one player in mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, but spread out the, through the entire team. That is a ton of talent. And I think the Warriors, depending on what they do with the number two overall pick, is going to be. Uh, forced to reckon with next season as long as everyone stays healthy again. Uh, okay. They're kind of kind of that forgotten team right now, but they'll they'll come back strong. Yeah, I mean, um, they're just going back to the uh, Warriors. I mean, this season was like the perfect time for them to not have a good season, and mm-hmm. they are like not only are going to still have their dynasty, but they're going to be setting up for a new wave of Warriors, which scares me. Um, but it it is interesting and fun to watch. 100%. Um, so going off of that, we have the free agency, right, which is also going to yeah. play a really big factor. You're going to have this short, short one, two-month span of players signing. And there's a lot of good free agents mm-hmm. uh, up for grabs this year. We have, uh, you know, just going through a, a couple of them, we have Gordon Hayward, a uh, really good player for the Celtics. He's on a player option. We don't know if he's going to keep it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have players like Paul Millsap. Demo, you know, some of these guys are play options. Some of them are un- unrestricted free agents. Um, Paul Millsap, DeMar DeRozan, Otto Porter Jr., Andre Drummond. Anthony Davis is, is up. I imagine he signs the Lakers again when they close. Yeah, sense. I was say that. Um, Hassan yeah. Whiteside, Nicholas Batum, Marcus All, uh, Sergi, Marcus All, Sergi Baca, and uh, Fred Van Vliet are all up for the Toronto Raptors. Mm. Uh, so they are going to have to somehow piece that team back together if they're going to want to make another run at the playoffs. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of good names. You know, Danilo Gennar, uh, Gallinari. Did you say DeRozan? Yeah, DeRozan. Yeah. I think he's. I can't remember if he's unrestricted. Uh, DeRozan's player option. Yeah. yeah. 
So we don't know if they're going to take their player options or not. But again, just a ton of names up on the board right now. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see where they land. This um, is the this is the type of off season where like the Knicks decide to totally go for it, and like <laughs> these players are good, but they're not. Like I don't think it, Anthony Davis is the only player that I see, and maybe Demar Derozan taking your team to the next level. Um, but there's like going to be dumb teams that decide to go all in on this free agency, and it's not going to really change their team all that much unless they can sign multiples of these guys. But players like Anthony Davis and Demar Derozan and Brandon Ingram aren't going to change their team. So this is a type of offseason where teams have to be careful and look to the future and future offseasons like next year when it's Giannis is on the table and saving up your money for a player like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of championship quality teams can pick up a lot of good players. Right. Like um, Goran Dragic is, is up for grabs. Myers mm-hmm. Leonard, which are two players uh, that were on the Heat. You know, they're going to let them walk and the Heat going to try to add a superstar so they can try and achieve that championship or do they think their roster is good enough and they only need to switch around pieces or maybe just get another run? Yeah, uh, gonna be really interesting. One thing I saw is that like the Heat are like the prime team right now that t- players are gonna want to go to, mm-hmm. which I don't see why you wouldn't want to go to that team. Um, so that about ends it for basketball. We're gonna go into baseball next. Um, so baseball, they this week there it was division rounds. It was uh, pretty interesting because I think all the games finished in like a four or five day span they were all played back back to back which was cool to have playoff baseball every night um sometimes it was a little gut-wrenching in terms of the yankees race here but i'll wait for i'll i'll hold off on that so let's start with the braves and marlins um i just want to pull up the scores so the Braves and Marlins, obviously, I said last week that I want the Marlins to lose. I don't like when teams that aren't supposed to be good come out of nowhere if it's not the Mets. Um, and especially in the in the NL East, I don't like the Marlins, and the Marlins always annoy me when they play the Mets. So I didn't want to see them fall on, like, another championship. Because if you don't know about the Marlins' history, they randomly get win championships and then are bad for, the, for a while. Um, and that's how it's went for whenever they came into existence, which hasn't been that that long ago. So, uh, the Marlins-Braves. The Braves took that Series 3-0. Why is this not loading? Um, took the Series 3-0. The Marlins, it finally caught up to the Marlins. I mean, the Braves are an outstanding team. Um, obviously, if you don't know baseball, then you don't know that the Braves are an outstanding team. But they have played really well this season, have played well for a while, for the past three years. And the Marlins, as I've said over and over again, aren't that good of a team, and they got lucky with the talent they brought up, and they made it far, which should be congrat. They should be congratulated for what they did this season. Um, but I, for one, am happy that the Braves were able to take it over the Marlins, um, and they swept them. Next up, I guess I'll stay in the NL. The Dodgers uh, swept the Padres three zero. Keep in mind these were five game series, so you only had to win three games. Um, they swept the Padres. It was sad to see the Padres' um, season end like this. Uh, the Padres are a team that are going to be good for a, a good amount of years to come, and that's really exciting to have two teams from L.A. be in the mainstream again. The Padres have had a terrible go of it the past five, seven years. Um, and what Tatis and um, I can't think of any other players on the Padres, but... I just can't think of the names of them, but they have played an outstanding season. 
Um, but the Dodgers just have all that star power. Uh, Julio Urias continues to play pitch really well for the Dodgers. Walker Buehler also pitched really well. In terms of Clayton Kershaw, as I think it was last week, we talked about how he had a really good uh, first game in the playoffs. Um, he's kind of cooled down. I think he has a 4.50 ERA, 4.50 ERA. Um, has had la- his game during this series, I think he gave him six hits, three runs over six innings, which isn't bad, but um, for Clayton Kershaw, you want to have better. Uh, but it didn't really matter. They still took the series 3-0. Um, next up, let's go to Athletics Astros. Uh, disappointing series for me, and I'm sure a lot of baseball fans, no one wants to see the Astros do good this season, except if you're an Astros fan. Um, but they took the series against the Athletics 3-1. Uh, Carlos Correa, George Springer are having great playoffs for playoffs with clutch hitting for the uh, Astros, and that's really excelled them. Um if you want to keep one thing in mind, George Springer is supposed to be a free agent this season. So I guess depending on how they do this, the rest of the playoffs, that might determine if he decides to leave or not. Um, but definitely something to look at. And then finally, which I think we're going to spend the most time on, is the Rays and the Yankees. Um, the Rays ended up taking the series 3-2. I guess I'll give my little opinion on it and then I'll hand it over to Nick. Um, personally, I don't want to just like shove it in everyone's faces, but... I'm happy they lost. Um, I Yes, I'm a Mets fan. They didn't make the playoffs. I've heard it a lot of times. Being in the playoffs is better than losing in the regular season, which is true. Um, but I didn't like seeing the Yankees do good, and I never like seeing the Yankees do good. Um, in terms of the actual series, me and Nick were talking about this. The Yankees need to, if they can't put everything on their pitching, which is really only Garrett Cole, they have to be able to hit and do other things. And that's what their team is made up of hitters, but in a lot of ways, players like Aaron Judge, Stan had a couple good games, but these players like Gary Sanchez as well didn't really show up, and they need to be able to show up in a playoff series. Handing it over to Nick. Yep. I mean, I agree with Brian. Just want to say for the record, uh, I want the Mets to do good. I'm not a salty Yankees fan, unlike some of the Mets fans who are just salty for the t- uh, 27. Yeah, that's right, 27. <laughs> Um, you know, going off of that, it, you know, Brian's 100% right. This Yankees team, I think the Yankees over the past 10 years, I would say, since their last championship or, so, you know, 10, 11 years now. Yeah, 2008, um, 2009. I think it's 2009. Um, yeah. We just have not been the same sort of franchise that we were. I, I don't know what it is exactly, like, but I just don't feel like we have Yankees players on this Yankees team. And I don't, I don't, I, I don't know who to pinpoint to, but I just don't get the, the quote-unquote vibe that I got from the 2019, which is they never pieced it together. Um, you know, from a pitching standpoint, Garrett Cole had a little bit of a, you know, he had a good good regular season, don't get me wrong, but maybe not what we wanted him to have with, you know, for a three ERA, yeah. um, which, again, is, is a good ERA. It's just he, he could do better. He's Garrett Cole. He, he mm-hmm. should have won the Cy Young last year. Um, but, uh, you know, in the playoffs, I think it goes without saying, he, he was the rocket of our team. Uh, he showed me that he is a New York Yankee through and through. Um, he, he showed a lot of passion for the team. Um, he came into that Rays last game on a three days rest and pitched his heart out, yeah. um, only giving up one run, which he looked he was very upset by. Um, at, but beyond that one run, that one home run that he gave up, which is the majority of runs he does give up, um, he pitched extremely well. His his control and his location was great. Um, you know, it's crazy to me how he's like. He's pitching off three days rest. He's six, seven innings. You know, I think, I think he gets six, seven innings. I think he gets like five or six innings. 
Um, he's about is 80 pitches deep, and he's still throwing 100 mile an hour yeah. fastballs with control. It's it's pretty it's pretty incredible to watch um, his talent. But you know, Garrett Cole's only one guy. We, the other the rest of the pitch we need to get a, another the rest of the pitching core on tap or on par with the likes of Garrett Cole. Maybe mm-hmm. obviously not the town of Garrett Cole, but the Yankees cannot rely. You know, we can't win a game unless Garrett Cole is pitching. It, it, it can't work like that if you're going to win a champ, uh, World Series. Um, somebody else has got to step up. You know, Taka didn't have the greatest year. Hap went down with an injury. It's just the injuries and then not paying up to what we were supposed to do. It, it sucks. And then on the hitting side of things, obviously, I feel like this is consistent for I don't know how many years now. The Yankees just don't – they get to – you know, we had a couple – I think one or two years we didn't make the playoffs in the past, like, decade. Mm-hmm. But I think most of the years we get to the playoffs, we either get to, like, the second round-ish – we get to like the last game in, in the series and we blow it, and mm-hmm. it's just it's so painful to watch. But um, you know the team just never pieces together the franchise as a whole when it really counts, and it, it sucks to watch. Again, like we we can't we can't come into the last game. We give up two runs, one by the likes of Garrett Cole, um, the other one by Arlen's Chapman, which I think he's one of the players that needs to go. Personally, I don't think he's a bad pitcher, but. Uh, every time he gives him a home run, he just smiles, and it's like, bro, stop smiling! You just, you just lost the, you just lost the playoff series for us for the second year Two in a row. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, I don't, I don't know what the solution is for the team as a whole. Obviously, getting better starting pitching would help, but in this final game, you know, starting pitching wasn't the issue. Mm-hmm. It was our hitting. Yeah, it's either one thing or the other, and I, I don't, wanna, I don't know what it is on the hitting side. Uh, Gary Sanchez, to me, as one of those players, you know, looking at it realistically, the Yankees are going to have to let some players walk, keep some players that they get from their farm team and whatever they may grab. Um, letting somebody like Gary Sanchez walk would probably be smart, in my opinion. Um, talented player, but, uh, you know, he, he, I don't think he's, his knees are the best. So obviously, he, he takes out, he takes off a lot of games. He can't catch every single night. Mm-hmm. And then his hitting this year is pretty abysmal. Um, he had a couple hot streaks, but other than that, he was very cold this year, and in, in the playoffs, he was pretty non-existent. Um, so it's tough. So he might be a player. Again, Chapman is one player I named. Um, other than that, I honestly don't know what the solution is, but it just it, it stinks to be a Yankee fan right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just looked up Gary Sanchez at a 147 batting average mm-hmm. this season. So definitely not good. I, I mean, I think that what the Yankees need to change, and this is what a lot of teams need to change, is not having just home run home run focused players. You need, and I, I mean, from listening to Mets people talk about it, it's the same thing with the Mets. Teams are too focused on um, hitting home runs, and I mean that just goes to the business side of baseball because you hit home runs that does good for your stats. You get signed, you get paid more when you go into free agency, and that has to be something that's changed. You need to be able to have players that can get singles, get doubles, and keep the line moving and not just have people that can go up there and launch a ball and have good launching. You need to be able to put an inning together and not just rely on power. And, 100%. Like, yeah. looking back at that 2009 Yankees team, because they're just so vivid in my head, like, you know, Derek Jeter, not a power hitter. Yeah. Um, Brett Gardner at that point, not a power hitter. Still not really a power hitter, but, mm-hmm. you know, going off of that. Um, Hideki Matsui was, I don't think he was much of a power. He, he could hit power, but he was wasn't much of a power hitter. Mm-hmm. We had it. We had a nice combination of players that could lead off and, and round out the the lineup where you had a lot of contact. I just remember that that year because it was incredible how well the Yankees hit throughout the entire playoffs. Um, I think the team's batting average was close to almost three hundred. It was pretty nuts. Just again, everyone was making contact. Everyone was getting on base. 
And then you have players like Alex Rodriguez, Mark Teixeira, um, you know, bringing in that power that you needed. So, you know, as a whole team, you know, it wasn't just home run hitters, as you had mentioned. Because with, with home run hitting comes a lot of inconsistency a lot of times because you have strikeout. swinging for the fences, you don't make contact, you don't get it on base. Yeah. You get those lucky home runs once, you know, you get those, those home runs once in a while, but unless you're consistently hitting them and you're not getting guys on base, uh, just to be able to get guys on base in an inning is, is a motivation for the entire team and it sways the it sways the uh, momentum in your favor. So it, it plays a big role down the stretch. Yeah, one thing to say about that, and then we'll go into football, is um, uh, like for people that ever watch a game, when a team has bases loaded and no one out and they hit a grand slam, that's four runs. But on the other side of it, on the other side of it, it gets it calms down for the pitching side because now it's the bases are cleared and that's kind of like a good representation of what we're saying is that being able to keep the line moving puts more pressure on the other team and maybe allows you to score more runs than just home run hitting does. And just one last thing before we move on to football, I just want to say it's kind of crazy what the Astros have done they're, yeah. that they they made it back this far yeah, without right. Verlander or Cole, from, you know, comparing to last year's team and then the whole scandal. Yeah. At the fact that they're this far, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure all baseball is kind of pissed they're this far, yeah. but it's pretty incredible they've gotten this far without their, their two best pitchers from last year. Definitely true. And, I mean, their hitters aren't having that great of a season either. Yeah. Because they're not sign-stealing. Um, okay, now we'll, go into, <laughs> now we'll go into football. All right, so football this week. A lot of good games this week. Um, big, big, Some big impact type of stuff. Uh, we're going to get into it all. Um, starting off this week, we had the Buccaneers and the Bears. Uh, really interesting game here. The Bears take it twenty to nineteen. Uh, Brady falls to Nick Foles yet again. We've have seen this in the Super Bowl. We've seen it now with Nick Foles on the Bears. Uh, Nick Foles not the greatest game. Uh, one touchdown, one interception, eighty-eight point four QBR. Uh, Tom Brady, you know, one touchdown, zero interceptions, ninety-two QBR. Uh, this game was a battle throughout, and the Bears pull it through. I don't know how the Bears pull it through, uh, but they did. You know, as inconsistent as Nick Foles can be, I think, from a starting perspective, to deny that he has talent would be absolutely ridiculous. Um, Nick Foles just seems to be the kryptonite of Tom Brady, uh, similar to maybe like Eli Manning was in the, the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what you can say about the time. I was surprised the Bears ended up taking it. You know, I figured you know, they have a pretty good defense, but offensively, I figured there's not much they can do, especially after their loss to the Colts. To me, that kind of made me think, oh, well, there's going to be what we thought they were. Their 3-0 start was a fluke like most of us thought. But no, they ended up winning that game. They were able to shut down the Bucks for the most part. And I I guess it does come down to, I mean, it's kind of stupid, but is it just really Nick Foles beating Tom Brady again? Yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, Matt Nagy's a good coach. I think there's no denying that. And I think Nick Foles does allow the Bears to uplift their offense a little bit. And I think their their defense, you know, behind Khalil Mack is pretty solid. So um, it's really interesting to see because I don't again I don't think they're that talented of a team, but as a whole, but they're still be able they're still competing right now. They're four and one, and you can't deny that record. Right. Um, so moving on from there, we had the Bengals and the Ravens. Uh, pretty clear blowout here, twenty seven to three. Uh, Joe Burrow definitely looked pretty bad, um, but I've obviously rookie uh, Bengals fan, don't be too worried, right? Um, he was pressure. They put a lot of pressure on him. The Ravens and the Ravens offense uh, didn't do it amazing, but you know, twenty seven points is pretty good um, as a whole. So, pretty big blowout there. Uh, you know, generally expected. Now, moving on from there, uh, I think the biggest upset of the week we had the Raiders over the Chiefs, forty to twenty four. 
Um, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Uh, I, I don't even know how the Chiefs lose this bad. Um, but obviously, it was just it was a bad week for them. Um, that that defense did not pull through. Um, the, I, I honestly don't even know what to say about this game, uh, Max. What do you have to say? Um, you know, going into the game, I was I think most of us thought the Raiders have a terrible defense. No way they can contain Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes, let alone stop him. And that's what they did. They stopped him in the second half. By the way, the score was I believe it was forty to thirty two, so not quite as bad, but still it was oh, yeah, yeah, right, pretty handily down late. And I just I don't know. They I guess they just caught the Chiefs on a bad week. I mean, I think we saw the same thing last year with the Chiefs. They were not doing that. They were not doing that well early, early on in the year, and it turned out to be a fluke because they came back and won the Super Bowl. Obviously, so if, the Chief, if you're a Chiefs fan, don't worry. I, I I mean, it's a rivalry game, but again, the but the Raiders don't really win in Kansas City. So I yeah, I don't know what to say. I'm kind of with you there. I guess it's just one of the days where some in, inexplicably the the Raiders were able to come in and just outplay them. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, looking at Gruden, I just feel like he's definitely one of those guys that can lead a, a ragtag team to a, a victory over a talented team like that because he's such a big motivator. And I think he's decent with the X's and O's, too. I think Gruden's a, a pretty decent coach, in my opinion. Um, maybe not the greatest coach, but, uh, you know, it's one of those teams, if he can motivate his team well enough, you know, when the X's and O's are in place, he, he has the ability to upset teams like that. Um, so it's really interesting to see that the, the Raiders came out on top there. Um, you know, if they can continue to play like that, you know, if it's not a one-week type of thing, um, maybe they're not stuck in that middle ground that they thought. You know, this could be a season-defining win for them. This could be a statement game. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like you said about Gruden, I mean, he's a good motivator, but but he said he, you say he's not great, and I feel like you kind of need more than great mm-hmm. to just, to, when you're being paid $10 million a year, I believe, for eight more years. So I yeah. we still got to see more of the Raiders, but play weeks like that and and will be in the playoffs, but it just will they sustain it? Who knows? Mm-hmm. As you said, fine. yeah, and as you said, the Chiefs nothing to worry about there. Um, they, they they're allowed to lose games once in a while. They're still a gr- probably still the best team in football. Yeah, um, up there with the Ravens, so um, nothing too incredible there. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Cardinals and the Jets. Um, you know, the Jets being terrible, no surprise here. The Cardinals win at thirty to ten. Um, I don't really think there's much to talk about the game. Brian, what do you have to say? <laughs> there's not much to say. The Jets' defense is not good. Sam Darnold didn't play. Joe Flacco did not. Had a better game than Sam Darnold has this season, but um, I don't know. They just – nothing's working for the Jets, as expected. I also want to talk about something funny. So I, I, I was scrolling through Twitter, like I do usually several times a day, and then I saw um, – an interview from, with Adam Gase, and he came out and said something after the game, like, yeah, like, what we do in practice, you know, what we were seeing on the field is not reflective of what we do in practice. It's a better team, like, that. <laughs> I just, I, just, I think this is so laughable, because look at the way the team is at this point. They're own five and look absolutely awful. Probably the, probably the worst team in the league right now. Mm-hmm. And to come out and say, oh, by the way, we're doing so much better in practice, what you're seeing is not the real product. It's like, it's just beyond, it's just laughable. Yeah. I, there's nothing to fire out in case. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you want to think for Trevor. Yeah. That's true. Cool. You, you probably do. Again, like for the Giants, I'm definitely on the bandwagon of taking your Trevor at this point. So I can't blame the Jets for doing I mean, this. You, you might as well not like win games if you know you're not going to make the playoffs. Cause yeah. Not. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the thing. Like, that's why the NBA switched to the lottery system versus like the tank. But yeah, I feel like it's a lot. I don't know if it's easier. Yeah, I guess it's. I don't know if it's easier or harder to tank in the NFL. If you're to ask my opinion on the whole lottery thing, I'll. I, we don't have time because 
it take a while. I've never been a fan of the lottery system. I don't think it does anything. I really don't think it truly does anything to prevent tanking at all. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that another day, but I just throw it out there. I'm not a fan of the lottery system whatsoever. I, I definitely agree with you there. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, so moving on from there, we had the Eagles and the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers won it 38-29. to um, Effectively giving the Pittsburgh Steelers the best record in the NFL. Or at least tied for it. Um, and the Eagles moved to 1-3-1 and there. Uh, pretty tough game for the Eagles. You know, they fought back late. Uh, that Eagles offense is really putting up a fight, I think, with the lack of talent they have. Lane Johnson, I think, came back this week. And, uh, you know, Hopefully it was a good sign for the Eagles in terms of getting that offensive line back together, and then he left this week with an injury. So uh, this pretty much defines the Eagles. I- I've never seen a-, a NFL team be as injured as the Eagles have over like this past year, and I think like last year. I've never seen a team just have such an abundance of injuries to like key players. Um, it's pretty incredible. At, at um, this point, do you think it falls on coaching, or it's just like strictly the strength conditioning coach? Like, what is it? Like, do you call? Doug Peterson jumping the question over this because like it, this doesn't just happen like that. I mean, I, I get like COVID stuff happening over the off season, but still, like this has been a consistent issue for them. Like, what what's going to happen? See, I, I honestly don't know what the solution is. I feel like Doug Peterson's a good coach, but I think with the situation that he's in right now, I don't think he's handling it the best. Um, when I think of in terms of like Doug Peterson, right? When when you have all those injuries to your wide receiver, you have all those injuries to your offensive line. Your ability to coach has to step up, right? You have to be able to innovate with what you have. A team that I think of that could be maybe modeled like that is the Packers, right? Where you know I think Packers obviously have more talent on offense, but the fact that they have lost, you know, this year and especially last year, like losing all their wide receivers and not really having a wide receiver core, and still allowing Aaron Rodgers to perform at crazy levels. Maybe didn't have the greatest year last year, but obviously he's doing amazing this year, and they really didn't add wide receiver talent. Um, so I just think that, you know, like coaching goes a long way. I think LaFleur is doing a lot better job than maybe Doug Peterson. You know, given Aaron Rodgers is probably a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. But Carson Wentz, at the same time, I still think is a good quarterback. I don't think it's on him. Um, we saw what he did, what was it, three years ago now before he got injured. You know, he could be a very talented quarterback when you put him in the right system. Um, you know, I, I, not, not to say that he's not a talented quarterback, but when you put him in the right system, he can really flourish, right? Right. So I don't know what it is. I think Schwartz um, definitely has to go. Um, he, he's not been great for them at all. Um, and I think I think they're a really old team, and I, I think they've lost a lot of the veteran talent they had back in the Super Bowl. So maybe they want to start heading towards a rebuild. I, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if I you can do one on one thing. Like, I, I've been saying like since week one of the year that I think they should move on from Carson Wentz because not that he's a bad quarterback but I just think it's just one of those things change the scenery he's not playing well and he continues mm-hmm. to nod even despite all the injuries he keeps throwing bad interceptions and but they don't really have the means to do it so I like, honestly I think unless they want to take on so much dead cap this team might just be stuck being me- mediocre if not below average for several more years because Carson Wentz's new contract has not even begun at this point mm-hmm. um uh, yeah, I, I think like that's definitely a possibility, right? If you move Carson Wentz to a team that's capable of winning a Super Bowl, I have no doubt. Like again, maybe somebody like the Colts, where they're they're kind of ready. They just need a quarterback to really hold them down. I think to really bring them like a because you know, quarterbacks have such a big impact in the NFL. Right. Having a talented quarterback like the Carson Wentz would really propel that Colts team to. I'm not saying that there's any trade rumors or anything like that, um, but just like the, the the idea of that would be a, would be a great I think move for Carson Wentz to maybe. Right. Put him in the right situation, and then maybe move the Eagles into a rebuild. 
Yeah, but even if you trade, even if you find some team who's willing to take on his contract, which I don't think anyone will, you still have to swallow the dead cap. So it's like, what do you do? You, you, you got to wait at least a few years for it to happen. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you probably end up cutting him. So I don't know. I mean, I, I will say, it's kind of changing the subject a bit at this game. I was pretty surprised the Steelers gave up 29 points to them. I figured they would shut them down because of that, how injured that offense is with Carson Wentz. But the fact that they gave up 29 points, it could be just Steelers thing playing down to their competition like they've done the past couple of years. But if it's, if, if that's what's going to, we're going to see week in and week out, that defensive effort, then, I mean, that team may not be as good as we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on from there, we had the Jaguars and the Texans. The Texans went at 30-14. to 14. Um, Not a big surprise here, right? Sean Watson had a pretty good day. Um, nothing much to see here. You know, the Texans are without Bill O'Brien right now. Obviously, they, and their head coach and their GM, they fired him as of last week, right after we finished the podcast. Huh. Um, so, you know, Texans are kind of a, in a weird state right now, but... Um, and although I think they're, they're obviously a lot more talented, and I think they're a little bit better run than the Jaguars. That's what really allows them to win that game right there. Because I think it's the Texans are not great now, obviously, but I think the Jaguars are that much worse, and that's why you see a score of thirty to fourteen there. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it after um, the Week Three Thursday night game, Dolphins Jaguars. You said the Jaguars are starting to show their true colors, come back down to earth, and we keep seeing that now. They fall to one and four on the year after a surprising start in which a lot of people were thinking Gardner Minshew might be their franchise savior, which now we're seeing, I don't think, even close to that now. You know, even if he comes back and has you know, a decent second half of the year, I just don't see anything that would not make them want to get Trevor Lawrence or even Justin Fields or Trey Lance if they had the opportunity to. And I think this team is definitely headed back down, tanking again, as we expected, just kind of a little late for that. But then on the other side for the Texans, I just... I thought this would be their week. They finally got their first win. They're a better team. Jaguars were starting to come back down, and it with better, way better quarterback advantage. It, I don't think the Texans. I think they're still going to have a bad year because I don't. Their team is thin with the how, with how Bill O'Brien killed them. Uh, I I don't have a lot of confidence in Romeo Cornell, and I also mentioned in the the POV video. If you haven't checked out the Instagram page, go do that. But I mentioned there, you know, if the Texans had gone outside the organization. I. To be fair, I don't. I can't think of anything on top of my head who they could have gotten. But if they would have gone out of the organization, they might have had a better chance to start fresh. But the fact that they promoted from within doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence. So, I mean, I don't think I don't see anything on the team besides Sean Watson on defense. I just don't think they're good enough. I don't. I don't have any reason to believe that this team is going to come back and make a good season out of this. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's any chance of them coming back. It's just as I said as I said earlier, like. And you generally agree with this that the Texans are not in a great spot right now, but the Jaguars are that much worse. Right. Uh, moving on from there, we had the Panthers Falcons. Um, you know, I'm surprised the Falcons didn't even put up a fight right now. Uh, they're 0 5, obviously, now after that game. Um, Panthers are 3 and 2. Uh, Panthers, which are pretty, you know, decently injury riddled. Again, new head coach, Teddy, uh, Teddy Ridgewood taking over there. It's a lot of new in Carolina. Um, but that being said, they're, they're having a pretty decent season. You know, three and two is nothing to be ashamed of. I think if you're the Panthers with how much talent a they have right now, um, and then b with the injury injuries that they've suffered, um, you know, the Carolina Panthers. I think talent wise, they've had a lot of surprises. I think Robbie Anderson's performed very well for the Panthers so far, um, which he came over from the Jets in the off season, and then Mike Davis, who who's pretty much taken over the role for Christian McCaffrey. He's had he's done a pretty incredible job uh, so far. And on the Falcons side of things, obviously, that, that team's in disarray. Uh, Julio Jones was out again this week. Uh, I believe he re- keeps re-aggravating his hamstring. Um, 
we don't we don't know when he's going to come back. He was supposed to. He, I think he warmed up for pre games and he said he wasn't ready to go. So that they're with, been without him for a little bit. Uh, this Falcons team, I think their talent has definitely dropped off the face of the earth over the past over the past couple of years. Um, a lot of the players they had during the Super Bowl run are just not either a not the same or b they're gone. Um, and now, in addition to that, obviously, which I hadn't talked about yet, but. Uh, Line Falcons have fired their GM and head coach Dan Quinn, um, which we kind of saw coming with how bad the Falcons have been over the past two to three years. Um, I think it's a good move for them. I think they need to change. Uh, when you have Matt Ryan, who's starting to starting to you know expire technically, I don't know expire his career is coming toward the the end of his career. I think um, as you, I, you know, he hasn't played as well as of late, so. And Julio Jones is only going to get older, you know. When you have a, a when you have such a, ta- I think when you have such a talent like Julio Jones, and so much of the Giants with Saquon Barkley, you really can't waste those years. Julio Jones is one of those players that that, that maybe passes the you know your ability of a quarterback. Like he's, in my opinion, that good of a wide receiver, he can really shape your offense. And I don't think it's something you should waste with with bad years from a, a iffy head coach. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start by talking about the Panthers because I have quite a bit to say about the Falcons more so than the Panthers. But for the Panthers, I mean, they're making – this is a team that I we, nobody expects to be very good, pretty uh, probably below average, but they're making a season out of what they have. You know, Even with Christian McCaffrey injured, Mike Davis is coming in and filling in just as well. I mean, maybe not just as well. And it's not like they're going to start Mike Davis with McCaffrey. They've paid yeah. McCaffrey. He's a top two running back in the league. Mike Davis will not – at least not – at least if the Fa- Panthers don't – let me say, if the Panthers think they have a chance to win, they're going to put McCaffrey in. I think everybody knows that. But the way they're playing, I think you can talk about this with you can talk about their head coach now, Matt Rule. I mean, he the way he's been doing. He did a Temple. He came in Baylor, set a foundation. Now he looks like he's kind of imposing his will in Carolina. Which I mean, this guy is. I mean, it's it's early, of course, but he's starting to prove himself that he can take a team and then turn them around really quickly, which is great to see. And I I really hope they do well because I think they're start. They, I mean, they're a team that committed to kind of starting fresh, and it's so far it's paying off. You're not gonna, you're not gonna see a championship this year. We're not even close to that, but just give them time. I think this team could be a contender once again. And and then for the Falcons, I mean, what a mess it's, it's been. And it just, I think to me, it's not. I don't think it has much to do with the talent, honestly, because they still have great players. Matt Ryan, he was playing. He's shown he can play well. He played well in weeks yeah. on offense. He has weapons. Calvin Ridley. Um, mm-hmm. Julio Jones, even Russell Gage was stepping up, and Caden Hurst was playing well. Now, and Todd Gurley, he had a great game yesterday mm-hmm. yeah, he too. Did. Yeah, and I mean, clearly they have weapons on defensive side. On the defensive side of the ball, they have playmaker. They have um, Dante Fowler, one, one of the better edge rush in the league. Grady Jarrett, Deion Jones, mm-hmm. Keanu Neal. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. doesn't stay healthy that often. But they, this bottom line is, this is a team that has talent. It's not like they can't compete. And I think what we're seeing, what we've seen with them, I think it's just a a lack of a foundation at this point because and it, I think it all stems back to the fact that I think the Dan Quinn firing was I think a year if not more overdue, overdue than that because we saw since the 28-3 run the year afterwards they came out they got to the divisional round but you watched them the whole year they were they were pretty they were noticeably working come out next year 7-9 and nine, and I that point I thought okay they got this is where Dan Quinn could potentially lose his job they clean house and they give him another chance. Understandable. They come out ne- last year, start one and seven. And at, that, at this point, even before that, I'm saying, okay, this guy is lo- is not doing well. You got to fire him. And they don't do it. They 
come back and make it a seven and nine season. They end the season well, like they did the year before, and they say, okay, we're the players like him. He started off, he ended the season well, rather, and we're going to give him another chance. Which I'm like, okay, but at the same time, it's just too much inconsistency now. You can't, you can't just be making all, having all these terrible starts because at some point you can't make up lost ground. You've already. At that point, they were already out of the playoffs. There's no point in them coming back from that season. They realistically should have just tanked it because they were nowhere near making it. And and I thought, you know, they this team has talent, but I, I just I just saw coming into this year, this is not, not the right foundation. I thought they'd be back, and sure enough, they're on five now. And I just think, the, and when you look at the Falcons, you don't think of them as one of the laughing stocks of the league as as we do other teams like the Browns. Like all these, year, the Jets, Giants, all these years, but like the Falcons are becoming with their with their um, reluctance to fire Dan Quinn after all this time. I thought they were showing that their the fa- proper foundation was not set. I don't know what Arthur Blank was doing all these years, but or not doing all these years, but the past year and change. I just think he he was being too stubborn when the team clearly needed a shakeup, and you see the way Dan Quinn was losing the team. He should have he should have been fired. In my opinion, after week two, after the choke chokes again, and then, and then they lose what they have on the offensive side. Fall, maybe not lose, but they don't put up as much points. It's just, it's just so much inconsistency, so much underachieving that I just think that Falcons were horrible to keep, keep Dan Quinn for all this time. It's just been way too long. Yeah, you definitely said that way better than I did. So I appreciate you picking me up there. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you in terms of like the talent perspective. I, I meant to say that like. You know, they lost players like Vic Beasley, who they thought were, were right. like were really good at the time, right? And I think is what propelled that, that team to the Super Bowl at the time, right? That those last couple pieces that really gave them Super Bowl. But that is absolutely not to say, as you had mentioned, that they don't have any talent to compete. As you said, Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, Matt Ryan, who's who's been pretty good this year, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they still have talent to compete and they're they have not done so for the past or especially over the past two years. And as you said, the reluctance to fire Dan Quinn is not good. Is you know, it's only he's made the team worse. And now that they fired him, hopefully they can turn that around. And I mean, I, I'm also glad they got rid of Thomas Dimitrov too, because like even with him, I don't know. To be fair, I don't know how their team hierarchy works. Because some teams have where the G, where the GM's in charge, some team the coach in charge. I don't really know. But if Thomas Dimitrov was in charge and he's not firing his head coach, I think that looks bad on him too. And it's both need to go, and they did finally, yeah. finally. <laughs> Totally agreed. Um, so moving on from there, we had the Rams-Washington. Um, pretty easy to guess this one, 30-10, Rams over Washington. Uh, I don't think there's much to say about this game other than the Rams have been you know, shown to be a really good team this year. Uh, Sean McVay, again, showing why he's a good coach. And then the Washington uh, franchise is being a terrible mess right now, and there's nothing more than that. They they did bench uh, Julian Haskins again. He just has not really performed since coming out of Ohio. With that being said, um, I don't think the story of this game was even the game itself. Um, I think it was Alex Smith. Uh, he broke his leg about two years ago, 2018. Uh, there was a scare that he'd never be able to walk again, let alone play again. Um, his recovery was, you know, his injury was gruesome. It was intense. The recovery, and he made it all his way back to professional football. And um, you know, did he have an incredible game? No. Uh, but the fact that he's even stepping onto the field again. Uh, it is really remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I, talking about Alex Smith, I mean, it just it was one of those situations. If you, if you watched the injury, I'm sure most of you have, you know just how bad it was. And there was talk 
like shortly after he could lose his life if not his life mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. nobody ever thought oh coming back to football there's no way mm-hmm. he comes back and just the fact that him stepping on the field is an accomplishment itself and honestly i feel like the nfl should consider him from comeback player of the year award just for being able to step on the field yeah a lot of people are talking about he's kind of a shoe in for the comeback player of the year award and i'm totally not opposed to it um if I, again as you said he almost had lost his life based upon the complications of his, his leg injury. Uh, so the fact that he was his step back on the field is pretty incredible. Um, so, you know, congratulations to, to, Washington, to Washington and Alex, you know, again, being able to get Alex Smith back up to par. Um, with that being said, we're going to get to a, a similar injury in a minute, um, which is pretty tough. Uh, we'll get to that second, which is kind of, is kind of funny. And I don't say funny, but... Uh, interesting. I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to put it into words. But are you talking about like the whole franchise tag thing? Oh, uh, not the franchise. I was talking about Dak Prescott. Um, but, but yeah, but like him with like the whole the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll get there. We'll get. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. So the game that we have before that is going to be the Dolphins and 49ers. Um, this game, pretty incredible. I think. Again, I've talked about the Dolphins for a little while now. I'm saying that they're kind of a team on the rise, as I thought the Cardinals, where I think their coaching is in place. I think the talent wasn't there, but we're starting to get there. And, uh, you know, given the 49ers are injury-riddled right now, um, Jimmy Garoppolo did come back this week, and he showed that I think the 49ers pushed him a little bit too hard to come back. I don't think he was ready. Um, his mobility was obviously not great. Um, given the 49ers are not the heaviest pass team, uh, but I don't think Garoppolo was ready to come back, in my opinion. Um, and obviously they're still missing a decent portion of talent. Um, and I remember correctly, did George Kittle go down in this injury? Did he get an injury this week? I don't know. I really, I honestly didn't watch this game that closely. Um, I forget if George Kittle got injured this week. The team is um, decimated anyway. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It, it, it is not a good look in terms of injury standpoint. But I think a 40, 43 to seventeen win is is beyond injury. I think it's a good portion of the Miami Dolphins playing up to their potential. Again, I think they have a good 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 amount of talent across that that roster, and I don't think it's incredible yet, but they're starting to get there. Um, I, I think coaching is there. I think, yeah, more than anything, I think they're starting to set the right foundation with Brian Flores, who mm. he's starting to impose himself. And it, I think games like these, even though 49ers aren't the best team, but it's seven in the right direction, you know, taking advantage of situations against, like I said, this 49ers team who's just absolutely decimated with injuries. I feel like, I feel like, I don't know, I'm not in the, lo- the Dolphins locker room, obviously. I'm not around their te- daily the operations they, with their team and players, all that. But I feel like, Going into the game, Brian Flores might have said to his team, like, look, this is a must-win situation for us. We have to prove ourselves it's a team that is hurt. We have to take full advantage of it. And they did just that. So, like, good job to them. Mm-hmm, 100%. Um, so, congratulations on Dolphins and a really great win there. Uh, so, now, here we have it. The Giants and the Cowboys game. Um, from a Giants perspective, pretty solid game. The Giants put up a fight. We're 0-5 now, which stinks, but... I think we're, I, I, you know, again, tank for Trevor Lawrence, trade Daniel Jones away some some way, somehow, get, get a pick for him and move on. Um, I don't think Daniel Jones has progressed over this, his rookie year and then moving into this year. I really haven't seen him get better. I've seen him, I think, from the start be sort of a mediocre quarterback where he shows moments where he shines and then there's equally as many moments where it's like, what are you doing? Throw the ball away. Don't fumble it. It's just, uh, it's very painful. Um the Giants' defense was pretty abysmal, uh, especially in the second quarter. Um, uh, you know, the Giants started off pretty hot this game, too. They came out 14-3 in the first quarter. I'm like, oh, we might have a shot here. And then before you knew, it was 14-14 in the second quarter, and there's kind of the Giants fighting back against the Cowboys from there. Um, 
But I think if we're looking at any highlights in the Giants, um, A, I think Joe Judge showed a little bit of his coaching ability here. Um, he had this one play, which of course got called back. Um, it was a fake punt to Evan Ingram for a touchdown. Or a fake goal. And then they called it back because one of the players on the Giants wasn't down in the stance. It was kind of a BS call, in my opinion. Because, um, you know, it was, home, home, it was a home field call right there. But um, I think A, that's sort of a, a bright spot for them. Um, and I think B, Devonta Freeman had a really good game uh, rushing. I think he had a little over 60 yards and a touchdown, which is pretty nice to see. You know, we have him on such a cheap contract that, you know, we're on five now. I'm not even looking forward to this rest of the season. But, you know, if we're able to keep Devonta Freeman as a backup and have him and Saquon, that's a really good running back core right there. Um, so I've seen, I, I like the way that Devonta Freeman has stepped in for Saquon Barkley's role. And I think they're, you know, I think the Cowboys' defense is pretty atrocious, but we were able to run the ball pretty well yesterday. So it was, it was fun to see the offense go to work. Obviously, the defense still needs work. We give up 37 points. On the Dallas Cowboys side of thing, and this is this is what I was talking about before, and it's the story of the game. Uh, Dak Prescott, I rolled out to the left, uh, started rushing the ball, uh, tackled first to the side, sort of from behind. Uh, he got his ankle caught up under the tackle, and he rolled it, and it broke. Uh, it, so the official ruling, I knew as soon as I saw it, you know, me having a pretty bad ankle injury myself, I know what a broken ankle looks like right away. I know what what type of injury this is. I know what I know what the impacts, and I, I know what comes with this type of injury. Um, ultimately, when he got to the hospital, I knew I knew as soon as he broke it, I knew he was done for the season. Um, as soon as soon as it happened, I knew this is something you don't come back from. Because again, I've, I've I've experienced it myself. Um, going to the hospital, Dak Prescott gets there. Uh, he, he's ruled with a compound fracture, which for all you non medical people, um, essentially all it means is that the when it broke, you know, obviously we're going to have probably multiple broken bones there. But more importantly, the definition of a compound fracture is that the the bone pierced through the skin, so you had bone exposed outside of his body. Um, he also had a dislocation, which the dislocation and the the, the the compound fracture were pretty easily seen through his sock. Uh, pretty gruesome injury. It's similar to how we saw with Alex Smith. Um, I, I know with type of anger, ankle injury like this, you know, he's not he's done for the season, obviously, and I don't think. He may even miss a couple games next year, depending on how long his recovery takes. You know, when I broke my ankle, which mine was pretty bad, I was looking about a little bit, about a year and a quarter of a year, you know, one year and a quarter until I was like pretty much back to normal. Um, but obviously Dak Prescott being the elite athlete that he is, as well as the recovery that he's going to have in the team, the people are going to work with him. He'll probably be a little faster than that, despite his injury being worse than mine. Um, but, you know, all best of luck to Dak Prescott. I see some people wishing bad on him. Especially throughout the NFC East, and I just—it's pretty horrible. I was—it was devastating to see um, the Cowboys uh, lose Dak Prescott in that way. Especially Dak Prescott's had such a good year so far, um, and as as uh, Max did allude to before, uh, Stephen A. Smith was was big on this too. Uh, Dak Prescott should have signed the she should have signed the contract because um, let's say he can't return to football now. God forbid this injury is as bad as it gets. He can't return to football. You know he's not going to have access to the same money that he did if because he chose not to sign his contract. Um, hopefully the Cowboys will be diligent in being able to take care of him. If if he can't return to football, I do think he will be able to at some point. Um, you know I was a little bit more hesitant an injury like Saquon Barkley we have a major ACL tear because Saquon Barkley makes his his money being you know agile, being able to be a running back. Where I think Dak Prescott, I think quarterbacks in general in the NFL make their money from inside the pocket. So an ankle injury. 
uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. He can reco- come back from it, I think, uh, similar to maybe like an Alex Smith can. Uh, a pretty devastating injury for Dak Prescott. Uh, on the positive side of things for the Cowboys, obviously they won the game, right? They're 2-3. and three. Um, I think they're number one in the division now at 2-3, and three, which is pretty awful. <laughs> NFC East is absolutely terrible. The fact that the Giants are 0-5 and, and can still possibly have a shot at the playoffs, <laughs> depending on how the NFC goes, NFC goes from here on out, is pretty scary. <laughs> um, um, with that being said, um, Andy Dalton stepped in for the Cowboys, and he performed pretty well. Yeah, Andy Dalton, obviously long-time starter for the Bengals, showed that you know he was starting for the Bengals for a long time for a reason, and he's arguably, in my opinion, probably the best backup you can have in football right now. Um, so that's pretty good Pretty good that they did sign Andy Dalton in the offseason. Um, on the secondary things, uh, CeeDee Lamb had a really good game, too. Um, CeeDee Lamb showing a lot of promise uh, in his rookie year, but definitely a great game against the Giants. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, people are going to go out and call the Cowboys – you know, screwed because they don't have Dak. But honestly, I, I mean, I think it I mean, definitely. I think it's a downgrade from Dak to Andy Dalton. But I don't think it's as bad as people are saying because I think with the way Dak was playing, he wasn't playing much more than like a, a high end game manager, in my opinion, for all these years. You put Andy Dalton in, who's probably a pretty av- average, maybe slightly below average quarterback or slightly above. It's really either way. Let's just say he's pretty much in the middle. It, at least, maybe not anymore, but the way he's played when he is in Cincinnati. And I think that the Cowboys, honestly, they're probably not going to be that have that great of a record, but I don't think, I still think they're going to win the division, because especially with the NFC East tripping all over itself. But I want to go talk about Dak's injury for a second. I mean, I think there's only one opinion here. It sucks that it happened. And when I watched on TV, I, I could see him uh, in real time when his, his ankle looked to be out of place. I was obviously, you can't be too sure in the moment. But you know, looking at the replay, it was pretty. It was awful. When you got, and then when you got a close up of it, you, you, I mean, you can't just, you can't not feel bad for the guy with the way he got hurt. And also, you know, with him playing under the franchise tag, I mean, yeah, it's part of it. It's his fault for not taking the contract. He should have just taken his guaranteed money. But at the same time, it's like, I think, it's, I think it's, this would be one of those things where the NFL looks at for for the final time and says, get rid of the franchise tag. We saw it with Earl Thomas, and now. We see it with Dak. I mean, it, it's just one of those things. I've never been a fan of it because not only does it, it does it, it could potentially mess up players' value in the future, but it's also one of those things where it's like not only does the team not have to work as hard to keep their players, but it's like you have total like, control over what he does, and I don't think that's right. I don't think you should be allowed to just just keep your players from hitting the market at all. Like, I, I just don't like it at all, and I and. When I really wasn't that knowledgeable about it, I thought it was like so much money you can't turn down. It's really not all that much money either. So I don't think it's just one of those things. I don't think it really helps players much. At it doesn't help the players at all. It's completely team. It benefits team only, and not the player. I mean, obviously, when you're doing deals, you want to. When you're from an organizational perspective, you want to benefit the team as much as possible. We get that, but it's just one of those things where the franchise tag gives you the team total control, and it can hurt the player in the future, as we see. We're going to see with Prescott, it's probably going to hurt his value moving forward. And I, I mean, I feel bad for him. Yeah, hundred percent. I think the French, the franchise tag is definitely something should be looked at. As you said, being able to keep players from the free market like that is, is like it, it gives too much control of the franchise and not enough to the players. Um, especially in an environment where in the NFL, where players, you know, there's so many players on a team that the players really don't get much control over their contracts. They're they're really. Um, you know, it's nothing like the NBA, where I think the NBA, a lot of the players dictate where they go and how much money they sign for. 
where I think the players have maybe a little bit too much control, the NFL doesn't give the, the players enough. Um, and getting rid of the franchise tag would, would be a step in in allowing that to happen. Having sort of an equal, you know, between the franchise and the player. I mean, even in the case of the NBA, I mean, I'm not going to argue too much because I don't know too, too much about the NBA, but it's like players at free agency – a lot of people get overpaid free agency. That's like the that's the NHL too. Guys hit the market, yeah. get paid a lot. I mean, it's that's the thing where the organization lets it happen. They just keep overpaying for these guys. I don't really blame the players as much, personally. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely don't blame the players that much either. Um, with that being said, um, you know, again, best of luck to Dak Prescott. Speed recovery for him. Um, we had the Colts and the Browns. Um, not much of a surprise here, in my opinion. The Colts are three and two now. The the Browns moved to a four and one. Uh, this Browns team showing a real fight. Um, you know, I think coming off of last week, you know, same Browns team. That offense is performing uh, pretty well. Um, and I don't think there's much to say about the Browns other than maybe they're finally found the right head coaching spot, uh, the right head coach to be able to you know propel them into the playoffs and really take. What I think is one of the most talented rosters in the NFL to to where they should be in terms of being a playoff team. Um, and this side of things, the Colts again. I think I think their defense is really great, right? Um, even though I believe Leonard's injured, uh, Darius Leonard's injured. Um, and obviously, Willie Cooker going down. I think the coaching, especially on the defense, has been really good so far. On um, their offense, has been solid. Um, I don't think Philip Rivers is the greatest. Again, I don't. I think the the Colts are a couple pieces away from really being a, a contending team or at least a, a deep playoff team. Um, but yeah, I don't know, <laughs> Max. I mean, I think that the I mean the Browns. We've let me talk about the Colts first, actually, because I have more to say about the Browns. The Colts, and I think they're like you said, their defense is good. They'll they'll be better when they get Darius Leonard back. But I think it's think their offense. I don't think that they're. I don't really have much confidence that their offense can lead them to the to a playoff berth because Philip Rivers. I just. I just think I see more and more. He doesn't have it anymore. He's, yeah. He keeps throwing interceptions, and it's just. I, I just think it's time for him to retire. We saw it last year. We're seeing more of it this year. So, I mean, they're a good defense, bad offense. That team's probably going to be more in the middle, maybe more, probably worse than they want to be. But anyway, for the Browns, I think you know, we've seen. We, we know they have talent. We've known that since last year. We There's no denying that, especially with the way they've, they've fixed their offense, or they started to fix their offensive line with Jack Conklin and Jed Wills, that this team is way more complete than it used to be. But I think the one trait they're showing that they haven't shown in the past few years is resiliency. I think that's where this team is trying to really turn a corner. We saw in week one when they got blown out by the Ravens, and people, including myself, were quick to write them off saying, okay, look, that." It's same old Browns. It's we're gonna see what happen again this year. Blah blah. Come out next week. They don't get a really impressive victory, but they win nonetheless, and they still have more to prove. And they come out, keep winning. And this week they win. In the past weeks, they actually they win fairly handily, and it just shows that. I mean, we're not gonna say anything too early because it's early in the season, obviously. But I can sense right now. I mean, I think it's probably not the same Browns team we've seen in the past. And I think I'm not gonna call a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, they have a long way to go, but they could. I think it's a good chance they make the playoff. And honestly, looking at all, well, actually, no, never mind. The Ravens are in the division; they're not the best team. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, it, it's, uh, they're in the division. Like NFC East, they're by far the best team. But it's a North, actually. Uh, yeah. So AFC North. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. I'm just saying, like, they were in a division. The Browns, like the NFC, the NFC East, they'd be killer. Oh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, but obviously, when you have a team like the Ravens in your division. Um, that's not possible, but yeah, I think I think 
the Browns team is really buying into what uh, Kevin Stefanski is really selling them, right? He, um, I think I think he's really maybe the, the head coach that they've been looking for. He's not uh, he's not you know Freddie Kitchens or uh, or anybody else they've had over this long period of time. Um, especially Freddie Kitchens, awful head coach, but terrible. Um, Stefanski doing really well, and I, again, I think with the Colts, I really believe in uh, Frank Reich. Um, I like him as a head coach, and I think that that team has a good amount of talent. I think with coaching, as you said, I think the offense is a little bit subpar. Uh, Philip Rivers is really not the quarterback that he once was. Although, you know, when you look at Philip Rivers, he's never that great of a quarterback in terms of he was never able to lead a team to a Super Bowl championship. But uh, um, you know, he's always been a really good quarterback throughout his career, and I don't think he's even that now. So, um, as I said, I think the Colts are kind of that one quarterback away from from one like uber talented quarterback that would really make this team like a contender. Yeah, I agree. Um, that being said, we had the Vikings and Seahawks, which is the last game that was played this week. A uh, really great game. I don't know if you guys watched it last night. I, I think a lot of people did. Uh, this Vikings team, they're putting up, you know, they were doing one and four now, but they put up a really good fight against the now 5-0 and Seahawks. Um, I, the Seahawks team, looking at it last night, they're, they're have a, a ton of holes in this team, right? Um, their defense is pretty lackluster. I think re, uh, their defensive tackle Reed is really good on the defensive line, but other than that, I don't see anybody being that great for the defensive line. Uh, their linebacker core is pretty solid. Uh, their secondaries is decent, but I, I don't think that defense as a whole is that great, especially with Jamal Adams out. Um, and then the offensive side of things, I think they're, you know, outside, you know, let's say, you know, I'll put it this way. The Seahawks are pretty, pretty much, in my opinion, a one-man team. They're, they are Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is so talented, and, and he is the reason that the Seahawks are 5-0, and without a doubt. I think if you remove Russell Wilson from the equation and put in a subpar quarterback, we're looking at the Seahawks being, uh, you know, the, as far as 0-5, I'd say. That has, that's how much, that's how talented uh, Russell Wilson is, and I think how much he leads his team. Um, you know, that essentially go, going through the game, right, you had the Seahawks, uh, they're down by uh, about a touchdown. What's about two, with two minutes left? They get the ball back. Um, their defense comes with a critical stop on fourth and inches in their own territory. And the Seahawks drive all the way down the field and score a touchdown. Um, a Russell Wilson, incredible. Uh, B, I think DK Metcalf, who was my favorite wide receiver last year's draft. Um, you know, six three, super fast, uh, super strong. He had all the the all you know all the statistics and everything you'd want. Um, but they're, you know, besides maybe route running, that was kind of people's concern, but DK Metcalf has really shown himself to be a top tier wide receiver, uh, in the NFL. And if they continue to play like this, and I think the Seahawks can build on what they have, um, you know, over, you know, know, right now they're, as long as they have Russell Wilson, they're good. My opinion. Um, they're going to be able to compete. Um, with that being said, I don't know if they're going to win Super Bowl after seeing last night against the pretty rough around the edges right now with Vikings team. I think they're going to have to fill those holes if they're going to want to win a Super Bowl. I don't think maybe this year it might be not be their year. If they could somehow either A, get rid of that this year and be able to solve their issues this year, or B, go into the free agency in the draft next year and really solidify this team. Russell Wilson is incredible. He's been incredible. Uh, I, I can't I can't say enough about Russell Wilson. Uh, I think he's just, he's just incredible to me. Yeah, and that's like you said. That's kind of what's making and breaking this team at this point. I mean, they do have a great coach in B. Carroll, but mm-hmm. the, their defense is just – I mean, it's funny to talk about because we saw them in the Legion of Boom days. They were That was the best defense in the league, and now it's just not very good because they have like two – you said Jaron Reed and Jamal, Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, this K. 
KJ Wright's all right, but they, mm. anyway, they don't really have many great players on that side of the ball. Yeah, not a lot being, of depth, really. Yeah, no, they're being completely carried by their offense. I mean, I wouldn't say it's. I mean, Russell Wilson, like you said, take him off the team. It's a. Ter- it's not a terrible, but they're not. No, obviously nowhere near where they are. But mm. I mean, DK Metcalf, like you said, is proving to be one of the better rising receivers in the league. They also have Tyler Lockett, who is one of the. Um, better speed receivers, and also Chris Carson, uh, who is emerging into one of the best mm-hmm. running backs in the league. So that, that offensively, that team could put, put up a fight with just about anyone. But defensively, they got to improve. I mean, the Vikings. It sucks that they're one and four because they have talent. They they were, pretty, they were putting together a pretty good plan to beat the Seahawks. I think they were taking advantage of their you know lack of a great offensive line. They were bring, they were bringing pressure on off the edge, getting to Russell Wilson. It was working for a while, but then it, he took over. I, I do think they're. If any team, I if the team, any team that's one four or worse is going to come back from the start. I think it's going to be them. They are. I think definitely the best one and four team right now. But they're not in a great spot. And I also thought the decision last night after the two minute warning to go for it in like fourth and mm-hmm. inches, I thought was a bad call in my opinion. I think some people were saying that they thought it was a good call, but to me, it, it, look at it this way: you're up five points. You kick what should be a pretty easy field. You're gonna you're gonna make it most likely. You're up eight points, and worst case scenario, you're gonna get tied and going to overtime. It's not obviously you, you don't seal the game, but it you're not gonna you're not losing it on the last drive either. Assuming he makes a field goal, which he kicker, kicker probably will. But now you go for it, you don't get it, and momentum is with the Seahawks at that point. And, and I feel like if most other quarterbacks, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But you're playing Russell Wilson, so I I mean it, I, I think. A lot of times, going with the safe decision is kind of frowned upon, especially by the fans. But I think in that decision or in that situation, that situation, you got to make the safe choice because worst case scenario, most likely you're just getting you're getting tied up going to overtime. Yeah, I agree. Like if you're Mike Zimmer, you kick the field goal in that in that uh, in that situation. Like you know, not only do I agree with you, like you don't get that first down, you put it in the hands of Russell Wilson. You don't want to put the, the game-winning drive in the hands of Russell Wilson. Right, that's a, you, that's a big point there. You, you don't want to do that. Like, And as you saw, the results are what the results are. Um, with that being said, it, statistically, you kicking that field goal there gives you a better percentage chance to win. I'm not right. a huge statistics guy, but you know, in a difficult situation like that, it's something you could factor. And also, the Seahawks failed on the two-point conversion when they scored the touchdown. So yeah, they, exactly. They might have failed when if they were to tie the game. I mean, who it, who knows what play they would have called, but still. Exactly. Why? I, I, again, as you said, you kick that field goal. At worst, you have to go to overtime. At best, right. you win the game. I mean, it's either A or B. I, when your worst is going to overtime and try and win it, I definitely take that option. And then I think right. finally, C. Um, although Alexander Madison, I thought, stepped in pretty well for Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook went oh, out right. at the beginning of the third quarter right. with that what they believe is a groin hamstring injury. They're, they're, they're a little unsure of it right now. Uh, there'll be more news as, as time progresses. I don't think it's anything too serious from from first looks, um, but he was out, and Dalvin Cook was was I think once you saw him step out of the game with that injury, their running game just wasn't the same, and they were pounding the rock against the Seahawks, and they could not stop Dalvin Cook. Um, and then they, Alexander Madison steps in, although I think he did a decent job, he still was not Dalvin Cook. Um, that being said, uh, I guess it's a question for you. I honestly don't have the answer. I, I think the obvious choice was to kick the field goal there. But if they had Dalvin Cook, would you still run the ball? No, kick field goal. Kick a field goal both times. I think it's yeah, definitely an 100%. option. Yeah. No, you. I think you. It's just, it's all about best and worst mm-hmm. worst case scenario yeah. and calculated risk, and you just go with the field goal there. Just give give your team the best chance to to win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do question like 
you know, I, I think, honestly, I do agree with you looking at it right now that even if you had Dalvin Cook, you still kicked a field goal. The question is, do you think they would have gotten it with Dalvin Cook? I honestly don't know. I don't know if it's something Mike Zimmer has considered when he made that call. I mean, even, I mean, Dalvin Cook's obviously, he's obviously the better running back. There's no mm-hmm. doubt there. But even then, Madison was still playing well. So I don't know. I, bottom line, what I, what I know for sure is I, I would have gone for the field goal no matter what. I, I agree with you. Um, that being said, um, that concludes the played games this week. Unplayed games right now, we have tonight. Chargers versus the Saints. I think it's a pretty easy win for the Chargers. Uh, Saints, rather. Wow. Uh, pretty easy, pretty easy, easy win for the Saints. With that being said, I do think, honestly, not, not an easy win, honestly. I think the Saints will win it, but it's going to be tough. I think Justin Herbert's played really well for his rookie season so far. Um, and I think the Chargers might put up a fight here. I do think the Saints are going to win it. Oh, I, I couldn't tell you the score. No, I completely agree with you. When you were saying an easy win for the Saints, yeah, I was no, saying, I, I, yeah, not pull, so fast. I pulled that back. Because, I pulled that back. <laughs> yeah, because Herbert's been, I, he's been playing well. He's been I, probably right now the best rookie quarterback yeah. in his class right now. So far, with what we're seeing, well, though Tua hasn't even played yet. But anyway, the point is, they've been pretty competitive with Herbert. Obviously, they lost last week. It was a tough loss. But like I keep saying, I've said many times on this podcast, it's not about this year. It's about the future. And having more competitive games will, I think, definitely propel them to what they need to be. You know, for I don't think they're quite good enough to be the Saints. Although, at this point, they're off, at least their offense, or at least their team, really, doesn't have too much of an X factor, except for Alvin Kamara, I definitely think he's the best player on this team. But he's been so dominant with the way the rest of Drew Brees can still manage a game. It is still on Michael Thomas, which if which if you don't know, he got suspended for this game not not because of injury, because he got in a fight with another player, which is kind of funny. But anyway, he Michael Thomas won't be playing. Traquan Smith, I believe, has filled in pretty well. So I still think the Saints have enough to win this game. I think it'll be pretty close, but I think the Saints pull it out. I just think they're better and more a little better and more experience at this point in time yeah i totally agree with you i definitely had to pull that back i'm like you know in my mind the Chargers aren't a great team but uh they've been competitive and you can't deny that and i think the saints right. are definitely going to have a little bit of a struggle against them but uh i think the saints will come out on top yep. um the next game after that would be the patriots broncos which got postponed till week six um this is one of the things i wanted to talk about this you know although you know it was obviously due to covid reasons um, a couple of players between the Patriots and, and Broncos tested positive for COVID. Um, it was it did break out that although it is postponed to Week Six, there is news that there's rumors that the NFL is looking to indefinitely suspend the season, um, and that you know because they've had so, you know, we look at uh, the record so far, they've had to postpone quite a few games for COVID outbreaks, um, and I don't think they're they're really there yet. But uh, it's not a good good thing to hear those type of rumors come out. Um, hopefully they're untrue, but we'll have to see where they go from here. Yeah, at this point in time, I definitely don't think a season suspension is needed because mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, when you think about it, although it's affected the schedule changes have affected, I believe eight teams. If you think about it, it's really been the Patriots and just the Titans who have really had yeah. the, the COVID stuff. I, I really don't. I, I can honestly think that's completely overblown at this point in time. Like the Titans, even the Titans, their COVID situation is starting to really simmer down. We had, I believe, we only had two positives last week in its entirety, mm-hmm. and we've we haven't had any for the past two days. So, or three. Well, actually, no, we had one yesterday with a with a staff member, but it, but they still, they apparently they were told they were given the okay by the NFL to have a short practice yesterday, and they still didn't. They had no positive this positives this morning. So right now, definitely, I wouldn't. 
I don't. I wouldn't even consider shutting down the season right now. It's obviously something you have to look into or be aware of that it could happen. But I, as of right now, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen at this point. I think mean, it should. And honestly, I don't even think I would. Maybe the league's in a little jeopardy, but I don't think it's really in that. It's that bad right now because the NFL's shown they can think on their feet. I'm honestly amazed how they've worked ways to move around all these games as opposed to just making a week 18 i think that'd be the easiest decision but i think they seem pretty serious about wanting to get these games wrapped up in the 17 weeks they have scheduled and they're doing a pretty good job and it's honestly a way they can look at it it's a way to boost their boost their ratings because we've seen there was a monday night doubleheader last week between the patriots and chiefs the falcons packers tomorrow night we got tuesday night football with the bills and titans so i think the the nfl is making this way for the nfl to make the best out of a very unusual and kind of bad situation, but they're doing it. So I mean, hats off to them so far. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think they've done a, a pretty excellent job so far. You know, beyond maybe like Titans and the Patriots outbreak, all the other teams maybe have one to two positives a week at most. And a lot of them have zero. So every other week you have Papo. So they're doing a pretty good job. It's not like they're in, the, in a bubble like the NBA, right? We're, we're right. traveling around the country and we're only getting one two cases at most a week is a pretty solid job by the NFL and, and hats just, off to them there. And I just think, you know, whether or not it was going to last without an outbreak, an outbreak was going to happen at some point or another, yeah. just based off the sheer number of players on each roster and the travel and all that, it was going to happen at some point. So I don't, I think at this, at this point, one outbreaks, nothing really to get all that concerned about because players have been just fine and the, I think the didn't the MLB have one with the Marlins? They turned out to be just okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I would not at this point right now. I would not worry about it personally. Yeah, I mean I agree. And by the and just to keep in mind, like that week eighteen is probably still a possibility if they continue to have small outbreaks. But um, if if worst if worst case scenario is so scenarios them having to have a week eighteen, uh, I think the NFL did a pretty good job. I will say though. I'd be totally down for Monday night doubleheaders or Tuesday night football if that's going to continue for the. And from a fan standpoint, that's awesome. I think you would agree with that too. Yeah, it definitely gives you more football to watch. Give you something to, to watch on uh, different nights of the week. So you don't have to spend all day in front of the TV. Right. Um, it's, it's definitely something interesting. And again, I think as I talked about sports across the, the the spectrum, right? With baseball having the shortened season and how everything's panned out, it's really given leagues the opportunity to. Uh, experiment on different things that they can do to help boost their ratings and maybe especially especially baseball where you've seen the, the steady decline in interest over the years i think the shortened season i would say you know, i haven't looked at the numbers yet but i'd say it definitely peaked a little bit of the interest um especially when there's a dead space in sports you know having I, a lot of my friends who hadn't watched baseball in years started to watch again this year because it was a, it was a shortened season and the games mattered a lot more yeah whenever the the stanley cup playoffs are the for were going on and i i was home for the um the play-in round in the first round of the playoffs i didn't watch quite as much when i went back to school and obviously there were less games but when you were the games that there were games that started at like like noon or 11 o'clock my time i was on central time and then they would last all the way till about midnight i was glued to the tv for several days just watching It's it's a great way for i think this these leagues to boost their ratings especially with no fans being allowed at the stadiums it's tv's the only option so i mean i think I mean, it should work out great for them, especially having games at different times and um, boost their exposure to their, their audience. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, with that being said, as, as Max had mentioned, the last game of the week is going to be the Bills versus the Titans, and that's tomorrow at 7 o'clock, uh, Tuesday, 7 p.m., uh, the 13th of October. Uh, should be a really interesting game. Obviously, both teams are pretty incredible. 
Um, the Buffalo Bills are 4-0 start, and the Titans are 3-0 right now because they had missed a game due to COVID. Um, I think this one's going to be a battle. Um, I think the Bills are slightly the better team right now, so I'm going to pick them to come out on top. I'm sorry, Max. Um, but I think the Bills are the slightly better team. With that being said, I am, I think, up 12 points in fantasy right now, and the player I'm, the person I'm going against only has the Bills defense, so I hope it is a, I hope it is a track meet. Um, other than that, I think the Bills will come out slightly on top because I do think they are the slightly better team. Um, obviously, both teams are really talented, and I think no matter who wins this game, it's it's not a statement game for either team. It's both both teams are really good, and whatever happens happens. Unless there's a, a really weird blowout situation, which I don't expect at all. Um, yeah, well, I I I um, have obviously this game is important to me, but I'm not going to predict it because. You can look at my prediction on the Titan universe. <laughs> so very good point, Max. <laughs> look, look there, look there. So good call to action. All right. So <laughs> again, go follow the Titan universe if you're not. So all right. So now we're gonna move into hockey. So there's a lot to get into, and there was a lot of action over the past few weeks. So I'm gonna start with the first bit of action that happened. I'm gonna try to get as much in order as possible, but it was. The first big trade of the week was Josh Anderson to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Max Domi and a third-round pick that was used in the draft this past Tuesday. I don't know who they picked up, unfortunately. But anyway, I think this was a win hands down um, for the Jackets because I, I think Domi is the better player. He had 72 points in 2018-19 season. And Anderson, he's been a middle 6'4 for the better part of his career. He had 47 points two years ago when Domi had a 72-point campaign. But he was injured um, He was injured from most of last year, I believe. And he only had four points. He had one, one goal and three assists. Not very good. So, And also, it would have made much more sense if the Canadians were the team... Or excuse me, the Blue Jackets were the team that gave up their draft pick. But it was the other way around, which is mind-boggling to me. Although it does make kind of... It kind of makes sense, though, if you look at it, because I interviewed last week. Domi was asked after the trade, how is your relationship with Claude Julien, who was who's head coach of the Canadians? He said, like, I'd rather not speak on that. So there, let's just assume their relationship was not very good, and I feel like there's a chance they want to get rid of them if they could. So but either way, I think this is a win for the Jackets. And also, that's not the only thing that happened with these players. These players got extensions on their new teams. Domi got a two-year deal at a 5.3 million annual average value. I think this is a really good contract. It's not it's a short deal so the Blue Jackets aren't attached if he doesn't do as well as they hope. But um and it's a five and I definitely think he's worth the the money especially and he could make it a value a really good value contract if he does as well as he did 2 years ago. So I think it's a really good deal by the Blue Jackets. Anderson got extended by the Canadians at um Seven years at five point five million, which I think right now is a huge overpay. As I said, he was not better than a middle six forward. Um, uh, um, excuse me, he's not better than a middle six forward any of his career, and he gets seven years at that rate. I mean, if he if he continues to improve and based off twenty eighteen nineteen and show that his last year was a fluke, then I mean it's, it'll be okay. But right now it's that's probably one of the worst signings I've seen in the past in the past few days. So, yeah, I don't know what Mark Bergevin was really thinking there, but that's just way too much right now. Uh, next one I want to talk about: the NHL draft happened last Tuesday night. Um, as 
if I suspected I did a point of view video on it. The Rangers took Alex Lafreniere, which was a no-brainer decision. Definitely the best player in the draft. Many people were talking about him. Probably one of the better playmakers that I've seen come into the draft in a while. He also he signed his entry-level contract today, three years at 925K, which I'm sure he should be more than worth that. It'd be, I mean, it's obviously a rookie, rookie deal, so it's not expensive at all. And also I want to talk about my team, the National Predators, taking the goaltender Yaroslav Askarov out of Russia. I was pretty shocked by this because... We, um, the team has UC Soros, who I thought was going to be the future in net, but and I was confused when we made the selection. But then I, I thought we could have traded down. But then David Poyle comes out and says, um, "We've drafted, we've now drafted our future goaltender. This guy could really be special," which has me shocked because I thought Soros was going to be that guy. But now they think that Askarov could be that, and it has me thinking what's going to happen. And I'm. And many people might look at this and say, well, there's no way we're going to keep Soros. I'm going to tell you why I don't believe that's true. I mean, it could, he could, we could get rid of him, but I wouldn't say that yet, and I'll tell you why. Because you take a look at how goaltenders are projected to come to the league. It's going to be at least a few years. We saw, we've seen other teams and their goaltenders, for example, Ilya Samsonov of the Washington Capitals, is, he's now just coming into the league. As a, he came in last year as a backup, but now he's going to be a starter just now. He was drafted 22nd overall in 2015, and that's it took him five years to reach starting level caliber. Igor Shesterkin for the Rangers, he it took him five and a half years to even make his debut, and now he's looking, and he's even looking like one of the better goal t- brighter goaltenders in the league. And Soros, um, who's on the Preds right now, he was in a fairly similar situation. He was drafted... 99th overall in 2013, and it didn't, he didn't come in until the 2016-17 season. So it took him some time, and he he has never really been a true starter, although he kind of took over that role last year a little bit. And Car- The only outlier I can think of right now to that s- scenario is Carter Hart. He was drafted 40th overall in 2016, but he managed to come to the league um, just under midway through the 2018-19 season. And But the, the thing you can say about that at the time... The Flyers' goaltending situation was honestly one, probably the worst situation I've seen in my years of watching hockey. That year, they started eight different goaltenders. And any of you who follows the league knows that this is beyond absurd. I remember the Golden Knights inaugural season. They started five different goaltenders, which was crazy. But that's because all of them got hurt. The Flyers start eight different goaltenders because they all sucked. <laughs> so, so... They had no choice but to start Hart. He was rushed into the league completely. He would have gotten way more time in the minors. It worked out. He's doing well. He's looking like one of the um, better goaltenders for the future. But you, you can't use this situation to say that Askarov is going to come in. It's going to be absolute best scenario. It's going to be two and a half years. But really, it's got to be at least three and a half, especially until he's a starting caliber goaltender. Even though people are saying he's one of the best goaltenders that's come into the draft, it's still going to be a while before... He gets to claim the crease, and that's huge because if you look at that, Soros is probably going to be the guy for the next few years. And I thought last year he played really well, and it was and look, watching his game, the games that he played, I was convinced, wow, this guy is really special. There's a chance he could have just been on a hot streak because he didn't play nearly as well in the playoffs. But I mean, if you look at the way he's improved every year since he's come to the league, I've watched him play. I've been more and more impressed every time he's been on the ice. And 
So then you take that and assume he's going to start um, in the coming season. Assume he's going to be improving each year. And you look at it, if unless Askarov is really that that much better, can you justify giving him the the job between the pipes over Soros, who's doing well? I don't think you can at that point. And I think at that point, you're probably going to have to trade him to a team that needs a starting caliber netminder. So right now, I mean, it could go, it could go either way. But right now, I'm not, I am not willing to say that Askarov is, this is the future because it very well could still go to Soros. So that's kind of a bit that I want to say that right there. So anyway, where, sorry, I kind of lost my notes here for a second. I got to go back. Oh, there it is. Okay. I also want to talk about. The, the third point I'm going to talk about, Matt Murray was traded from the Penguins, as was rumored for a long time now this year. Traded to the Senators for the 52nd pick in the draft and a prospect named Jonathan Gruden. Don't really have to explain why that's funny. But it was a pretty good... At the time, it was a good trade for the Senators because even though Murray's been declining over the past few years, it was not a steep price paid for a guy that's been a starting goaltender and he's won two Stanley Cups. He's been the starter for both of those cups. And so it looked pretty good at the time, but now with the way they extended him, it was a four-year contract at $6.25 million per year. And I think that's a, a overpay. And if he does if he plays like he has like the past two years, it's not gonna be a good contract at all. So Senators better hope he can return to his past form or else they might be regretting it. Because I, I would I thought of that the trade at the time as more of them taking a chance on him to be their potential starter more than actually being the guy that they're going to depend on. So I think right now it's a bad move by Pierre Dorian and the Senators. So then next thing I'm going to talk about, Nick Benino was traded from the Predators to the Wild for Luke Cunnan. Also going to the Wild was the 37th pick in the draft, the 70th pick, and then the Predators got the 101st pick in return. So me personally, this kind of stung at the very beginning because Benino was one of my favorite players on the team. He, I thought he was pretty an underrated contributor. He was good defensively. He contributed on offense. He really didn't make any many mistakes at all when he was on the team. But I thought when I saw this deal from a from a management standpoint and what the team needed, I thought this was a good move because right now um, Benino is 32 years old. There's no way he. There's no realistic way he gets any better than where he is. His contract also has one more year, and there's a good chance that um, we would have owed him more money in the future if we were to extend him. Whereas Cunnan, he's only 22 years old. <clears throat> he's pretty raw right now. and I don't think there's really much of his game that st- stands out as a p- really a big strength, but he's a player that has potential. He had a career-high 31 points in 63 games, which really is not that far behind Benino's point-per-game average, which and obviously he's nowhere near as impactful of a player right now, but even right now, the, the way the Preds, they want to, the direction they want to go, I think this is a good move, because um, they just have to get younger, and and obviously it didn't look like Benino was going to be kept, and he, there's no reason to, unfortunately, because he was an older player, so I thought that was a good move, and then also, not long after that, Kyle Turris was bought out, he had four years left on his contract at Six million per year. So I'm gonna explain how buyouts work in the NHL. So, so I'm not every um, team, every player I should say is different with the way their buyout works. But essentially, what broad overview of what it is, you you're on the is the contracts or the money at least is on the books for twice the amount of time, but it's significantly less money. So it's like 
team can pick. So contending team or team that can contend really soon probably want to buy out a bad contract because they can get more cap space in the short term. Or, but whereas a team that really isn't any good probably just wants to let that contract run out if there's a really short amount of time left. But in this situation, I think it was really the right move for the Preds to buy out Kyle Turris because unfortunately, it, it just wasn't working out with him. He had not been living up to his deal at all. Also, really was not a fit on the roster because you know, the way we already have we have many other centers on the team. Even without even without Benino, um, Ryan Johansson making eight million a year, Matt Duchesne making eight million a year. Then you had Turris making six million a year, and he was underperforming. It just wasn't worth it. I think the buyout definitely had to happen. And also, even though the Predators are not really going to contend that really going to contend in the next one or two years, they I definitely I definitely think they can within the next four to five. And having Turris on the team, I think, would hurt their chances. So. Yeah, I, I think that um, both moves, training Benino, buying out tourists, good moves. So that's all I have to say there. Next move, or the next, next thing that happened, Chandler Stevenson extended by the Golden Knights, a four-year deal worth $2.75 million per year. I actually think this is a good move by the, by the Knights because he was a good contributor, from the, good contributor for them last year. I thought he was a good skater, did pretty well in transition, definitely generated some opportunities, even scored some goals. I remember he scored a pretty critical goal in the playoffs, even though in the series they lost, but it was a pretty critical critical goal nonetheless. It was a transition goal, and I just thought, wow, that's a strength right there. It definitely made a difference, and at the time it was a little puzzling because they put the team more over the cap than they were, and it was a little surprising because they were going to go... It was. It's been rumored that they're they're going for Alex Petrangelo, and they still were at the time. They still are, but they eventually were able to clear some cap by trading Paul Stasny to the Jets for Carl Dahlstrom and a fourth rounder. And this is there's no way around. It's a pure cap dump by the Knights in their pursuit for Alex Petrangelo. I mean, they didn't obviously they didn't win the trade at all because they gave up. They didn't get nearly enough value for Stasny at least to justify skill he has, but it was necessary for them if they wanted to go after Petrangelo. And then for the Jets, I think this is a really big one. I actually like this move a lot for them because they got him at a cheap rate. I mean, they still take on his contract, but they only paid a fourth rounder and a player that wasn't very good. And also, what's huge about this deal is that Paul Stasny was on the was on the Jets two years ago when they went pretty far in the playoffs, and now you still have your team, the players that were your top line, Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler. And now you have the opportunity to re- reunite Patrick Laine and Stasny. And I think this really could turn, help the Jets into become a better team if they can regain that chemistry. And also, even though Stasny didn't have a great year last year, he only has one year left on his contract. So say it doesn't work out, they're not attached to him. I think this is a great move by the Jets. And, ho- and hopefully for their sake, this helps them become a better team and get back to the playoffs like they want to. So, moving on, Austin Watson was traded from the Predators to the Senators for a fourth-round pick. I think it makes sense for the Preds because he was a player on a three his three-year contract of $1.5 million average annual average value was just about to begin. He really didn't make he didn't really play much for them at all last year, and then. Although he played pretty well in the playoffs, he just wasn't much of a contributor. Good to get that cap off the table. 
for the Senators, I mean, I think they got a pretty decent depth player. And if he plays like he did in the playoffs, I think it's pretty good for them. So I think this is a boof in the best interest of both sides. And then I also want to talk about Andreas Janssen traded to the Devils for Joey Anderson. I Again, this is a pure cap dump for the Leafs who still don't have a great... They might even still be over the cap as we speak right now. And unfortunately, it was needed to do even though they didn't win the trade. I and mean, Joey Anderson, I've, I don't know much about him. I've heard pretty good things about him. It seems like he's a decent prospect. And he's young, so hopefully that works out for them in the future. But it kind of, it kind of sucks for a team like that who should be contending right now, trading one of their depth pieces because of cap restraints. And for the Devils... I think it's a really solid move by them, and if he helps their depth a lot, and if they can, if he scores twenty plus goals like he did two years ago, this could really work out well for them. And then, also, I want to talk about Brandon Saad traded from the Blackhawks for Nikita Zadorov. There are all two other prospects in there going each way. I don't remember their names, but Chicago I, in this trade, I think, gives up a, a better player. You know, they had to get some cap that they want to sign or re-sign Dylan Strome. Not a huge fan of Zadorov. I think he's more of a physical. He's more of a physical defenseman than any. But he's he's all right for the third pair. I mean, at least the Hawks are able to address a need, even though it really won't make much of a difference, in my opinion. I also want to throw in a little fun fact. So, if you go back a couple years, Brandon Saad was traded to the Blackhawks for Artemi Panarin, and now Brandon Saad's been traded for Nikita Zadorov. So, if you take it together, essentially. The Ranger, the Blackhawks traded Artemi Panarin for Nikita Zadorov. If you go back in time, so just fun fact right there. If you ever feel bad about your teams, any <laughs> any team you ever have, just think about that fact and feel a little better about yourself. So that's a fun fact right there. And also, free agency started Friday. So there are some been some pretty big names off the board. Taylor Hall is off the board now with the Sabers. Tori Krug to the Blues. Tyler Toffoli went to the Canadians today. And then um, Braden Holtby went to the Canucks. But there was also some pretty big names on the board. Mike Hoffman's still available. Mikhail Granlin's still available. Anthony Duclair's still available. Evgeny Dadunov's still available. So I'm not going to talk about free agency today because I've covered a lot. And I also want to be able to... I'm going to try next week, unless any other significant moves happen, to, to, to dedicate my segment just to free agency and the signings i'm not going to go over obviously i'm obviously not going to go over all of them they're just way too many for me to cover but just want to let you know that free agency won't be covered this week but i'm pretty sure next week i'm sure at least the big name players will have found their teams so I'm not going to do anything about it this week but next week i will be talking about it okay um so that about ends it for this week's podcast um nick any final thoughts um, not much. Just thank you guys for listening. Obviously, really long podcast here. Probably our longest. Um, whatever. Probably our longest podcast. Yeah, it might yeah, be our longest podcast. Yeah. There's so much to cover. I think today, this week was like a really good week with a lot of quality content. So, uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, if you guys have any comments, questions, concerns, feel free to leave them at my email at nicholasharvard10.yahoo.com. Um, other than that, uh, see you guys next week. Again, thank you guys for listening. I'll swipe it back to Brian. Uh, any final thoughts, Max? Uh, no. Uh, thanks for listening, and, and like I said, go check out the Titan Universe. Yes. Um, all right. For me, any final thoughts? No. Um, we're going on an about an hour and 43, 43 minutes for this podcast, so I think I'll just end it. Um, so we'll be back next week with another podcast. Let us know what you thought of this. You can DM us. Check out our videos on YouTube. 
Instagram, check out the Met Universe, the Jet Universe, the Titan Universe, the Giant Universe. Um, if you have any interest writing for us, editing videos, any way you think could help, contact the Sport Universe 2019 at gmail.com. Other than that, thanks for listening. Bye.